Special thanks to our promotional partners at the American Philatelic Society. The APS is the largest stamp collecting organization in the world, supporting collectors of any level worldwide. For more information about membership and APS services, visit stamps.org. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, everybody, for being here. My journey with philately really has two beginnings. I was introduced to stamp collecting at the age of eight. My father would sit me down and have me pick out common design types and teach me how to catalog country collections early on. After school, he would teach me how to reference the Scott catalog, find watermarks, and how to use a perf gauge. He taught me how to pick out key sets which countries were popular, and then as I got older, how to market collections to their best features. I learned how to sell stamps to stamp collectors and other dealers, how to break down collections, and how to evaluate and purchase collections. As I grew older, my father and I spent many years on the road together, buying material, identifying stamps, breaking down collections, photographing them, and then listing them for sale on eBay. This is how we would run our business. We'd take out ads all over the country in papers, and then we'd fly, take the train, or drive, spending weeks on the road at the time, buying collections, packing them up, and shipping them back to ourselves in our large farmhouse in Pittsfield, New Hampshire. After I graduated from high school, I became more interested in the family business and began to look outside our small philatelic circle. Up until this point, we'd only had contact with a few local dealers, auction houses, and our online customers. Our, our, our involvement with the hobby, while large, remained entirely online. I tried visiting a few local shows in the New Hampshire area, but struggled to make connections with other philatelists and was honestly a little discouraged. I was left feeling like I wanted more out of the hobby, but my limited experiences with these local shows kind of deterred me from seeking that out. All of that changed after a few years after I graduated college. I graduated college in 2012 and began working in the family business full time. By then, the business had grown much larger than our original small family operation. We had dedicated photographers, a shipping department, and customer service representatives. My father and I were now solely focused on buying and preparing material for sale. I continued down the path of purely digital philately for a little over a year, but at this time was still left feeling wanting more out of the hobby. I decided to register for my first stamp course through the APS and started preparing for my first summer seminar experience. This is when I really experienced my second introduction to philately, which was an entirely new and reinvigorating introduction to the hobby that I know and love today. I remember about eight years ago, I emailed uh, Gretchen Moody at the APS to ask if there was a database of philatelists in my age group around the United States, and if there were any in my area, because I wanted to connect with them. She immediately put me in touch with Alex Simon, who called me and told me about the Young Philatelic Leaders Fellowship, what it had to offer, and the idea behind it. After just one phone call with Alex, I was completely sold and applied to the YPLF and shortly after was boarding a plane to go to my very first APS stamp show in Milwaukee, courtesy of the YPLF. This first show stands as such a monumental turning point for me in the hobby. I'd finally had my first taste of what I'd been missing, really a launching point for me in philately today. This was my first large-scale show. The attendance 
number was overwhelming, and I was getting to meet all the youth fellows that, that Alex had invited through the YPLF. But what's more than that, what really made an impact was the incredible support we received from the APS immediate past president, Wade Soddy. Wade took the time, to get out, the time out to get to know each and every one of the YPLF members, and I recall fondly an event, an evening where Wade took the entire YPLF group out for ice cream and spent the whole night talking to us about the future of the hobby, asking us what we wanted from the uh, YPLF and what we were looking to get out of the experience at the show. This is what really made an impact on me and will continue to make an impact on young philatelists over the world. The spirit of inclusive, inclusivity and excitement to mentor young philatelists from people like Wade Soddy and Alex Hyman. That is what's not only going to bring this hobby forward through future generations, but allow it to grow, develop, and change. The feeling that I walked away with from my very first APS show, the feeling that there were tons of truly great people in the hobby that I could connect with and who genuinely wanted to help encourage my passion, that hooked me. I flew to my very first APS show not knowing what to expect after only experiencing local board shows and left feeling a renewed sense of support and desire and to stay involved in the hobby. So anybody who's watched Conversations with Philatelists knows that Michael and I have very different styles. Um, Michael uh, wrote out a, a wonderful speech. I have a little notepad uh, with a few things that I jotted down earlier this evening. Um, but I like to say that um, that sort of reflects our styles, and I think that uh, Michael is the Bud Abbott to my Luke Costello, which is a joke that was lost on Michael and Allison uh, because they're of my generation. Um, but it's a joke that I knew I could make to a bunch of stamp collectors, and they would understand it. Um, so my, um, my journey in the hobby is a bit different from Michael's. Michael uh, you know, was sort of raised, surrounded by stamps and coins. Um, I collected, and I apologize to anybody who's heard me say this before, because uh, I feel like I've told the story on the podcast, but um, I collected just about everything except for stamps growing up, uh, whether it was first edition books, fossils, uh, dinosaur toys, which are still um, a, a huge passion of mine, really anything um, but stamps. I don't know why I even dabbled in coins, but stamps, I just, uh, I don't know, I didn't, didn't, wasn't drawn to them, didn't have a connection with them. Um, and it was something that was completely unbeknownst to me um, until I was in college. I think it was my junior year of college. And it's kind of a, a weird way in which I bought my first postage stamps. Um, I had my wisdom teeth removed. This is about a week before my junior year started. Um, I had my wisdom teeth taken out, and I was uh, really just sort of... Um, wiped out on the Novocaine or whatever they gave me to, to put me to sleep. Um, and I, I came home, and, and I'd been reading a lot of 1920s and 30s literature. That's my great passion in life is sort of the pop culture of the 20s and 30s. And, um, you know, reading books by Fitzgerald and Hemingway and watching silent films, I'd sort of been wondering, you know, what coins would have been in use. I'd learned about the uh, Mercury Dime and, and you know, the, the Standing Liberty and, and all these great coins. And then I wondered what stamps would they have used in The Great Gatsby or in um, a farewell to arms or something. So while I was um, basically high on the, the tooth medication, um, apparently, and I was, I, I was laying on the couch watching Little League World Series. I don't know why this is so vivid to me. And apparently I went on eBay and started buying stamps uh, en masse. Um, and I, don't, I have no real recollection of that part of it, but a couple of days later my mother comes in and says, you have all this mail for you. And of course the envelopes are covered in postage stamps, which jumped out to her, and uh, I had bought a set of the Imperf National Parks from 35, and I just bought a bunch of stuff from the 20s and 30s, you know, when you get 50 stamps for a dollar or whatever. And uh, I figured I, I had this little pile of stamps now, I may as well learn something about it, and I printed off some album pages, and uh, 
uh, bought a Scott catalog from the 1940s uh, because I figured there's nothing I wanted to collect after 1940 anyway. So, um, so I, I sort of fell into it uh, in adulthood. Everyone assumes that um, you know, like you, you've been exposed since childhood, but for me it was a very late uh, addition to my life. I was 19, 20 years old, and uh, all of a sudden, I don't know what it was, but after years and years of, of ignoring stamp collecting and, and uh, just not being drawn to it, I was hooked immediately. And I was living in a fraternity house at the time. I was that really weird fraternity brother uh, who brought his stamp collection uh, to the fraternity house. And when everyone else was going crazy, I was, uh, I was sitting there, you know, uh, hinging my, um, you know, 1902 series into place and everything. And I, I just, I, I was taken by the hobby very quickly. So I, I, I was not raised in it, but I, I fell for it um, immediately and, and fell very hard. So um, I... I want to say that my uh, introduction to the YPLF was, uh, you know, wanting to find other young people like myself, but I went on the APS's website and saw that there was a program where they would pay for you to travel around the country. Um, and as a young person who wanted to travel very much, the idea of going to stamp shows, uh, the next one coming up at that point was Hartford 2014. Um, it was really appealing to me because not only could I learn more about stamps, but I'd get to fly across the country, and I thought that was pretty cool. So I, uh, I, I applied for the YPLF and, and was incredibly excited when I was accepted to the program. And then Hartford 2014, I'd gone to a couple of local shows in Southern California in Orange County. Um, you know, local shows, whether it be maybe a dozen dealers. I made the first big purchase in my life when I bought a, uh, a VG to F used C18. Uh, I overpaid at $12.50 for that, uh, but I've still got it in my collection. But Hartford was just a, a whole nother universe. Hartford was... Um, was very eye-opening. I did the author track of the YPLF, so I was working with John Hotchner, uh, who was incredible. I loved writing. I didn't know how to write about stamps. Um, I didn't really know about stamps yet, to be honest. So John really took me under his wing, worked with me on a couple of articles, and uh, that entire year, from Hartford through Grand Rapids in 2015, was, uh, was just incredible and eye-opening, and I got to meet people like Wade, like Gordon, like Fred, so many people in this room um, uh, who, as Michael says, really were supportive um, and I was, you know, my, my sponsor was the U.S. Philatelic Classic Society, which is how I got to know all you guys mainly. And um, uh, it was just incredible to be surrounded by that much knowledge and passion. And, you know, I'd see, you know, these exhibits that I would just drool over. And then to get to know the people uh, behind it was, was so amazing. So, again, my, my introduction to the hobby, totally different than Michael's, but it brought us to the exact same place. It brought us to the YPLF. It brought us to Gretchen Moody and, um, and you know, everybody else working at the APS. And I think it's funny that even though our stories have nothing in common up until that point. We converged, and, and ultimately, I'll let you continue with, uh, with our story. Okay, great. Uh, since 2013, everything really snowballed over the past seven or eight years. I've been traveling all over the country for shows, sometimes just as an attendee, other times as a booth holder, and our company, Noble Spirit, had grown exponentially. I had innumerable opportunities to meet so many great collectors and dealers, who, people who were just really passionate about philately. That's really the backbone of the hobby community. The ability to, and opportunity to make real human connection with people who are truly passionate about the same thing as you is what builds the foundation of any strong community. And a strong foundation is what determines how well a community will grow over time and how it will adapt to change. Last year, I was planning to attend the Hartford, Connecticut show in 2020. This show was going to be a particularly special occasion to me because it was going to be the first time I was planning to bring our entire staff to an APS show. So um, I started beginning the plans to carpool down with everybody. We were looking at booths. And uh, I wanted to give people the opportunity to engage in the hobby 
in more interpersonal way to meet the collectors, dealers, and, and exhibitors that they had been selling to this entire time. My first APS stamp show was such an incredible and transformative experience, and I wanted them to have the same chance uh, to meet the people and experience an APS show just like I had. Of course, we never made it to the show. The pandemic hit, and the show was canceled in May. One by one, more and more shows were canceled, and every single one of us in this room, and quite frankly, every philatelist in the world really only had one option, which was to go online. The entire Philatelic community was forced to try and survive online in a way it never had before. And in that time, it, it really thrived. Uh, the hobbies provided it, it proved that it can, uh, it can adapt incredibly. But with the shove to being exclusively online, with that odd familiar feeling of wanting more resurfaced, I missed going to shows, as I'm sure we all have, and I missed shaking hands with meeting new people and making connections and learning about the passion that buzzes through the hobby. Shortly after the Hartford show was canceled, I reached out to Charles with an idea for a podcast. I wanted to try and find a new way to feed that sense of community for the hobby and give people a platform to share their stories and their passion for philately, even if it even if we couldn't connect at shows. And when I approached Charles, it was just a rough idea, a podcast where we would talk to different collectors, dealers, auctioneers about how they first got involved in the hobby and if they had any interesting stories along the way. That's really all it started out as, just wanting to have conversations with other philatelists. We wanted to find a way to connect to people who were worlds apart. Reflecting back on my first experiences at local philatelic shows, I really only perceived them as negative because I was just a fish out of water. I was overwhelmed because I didn't know anyone and I was intimidated. There was no Alex Hyman or no, uh, to guide me and introduce me to, collect, to collectors and dealers of similar, similar interests and there was no Wade Soddy to engage with me and ask what I was looking for out of the hobby. It was a humbling experience showing up to my first local show, being surrounded by professionals with decades of knowledge and subjects I didn't even know existed. My idea initially was for the two of us to do the best we could in removing any sense of intimidation people may feel when looking to connect with others in the hobby, for us to share our experiences and for the experiences of the people we've met with everyone who may or may not have gotten the chance to meet them, experience those things, or people who are just simply wondering what the hobby is and what the people behind the stamps are. Our hope was that in connecting with people, even through voice or video, we could attempt to recreate a little of what the YPLF did for us, for our listeners. So I was in the car. I'd met Michael and his wife, Kaylee, a couple of times, but I was in the car driving to Long Island um, to look at what was allegedly Pope Pius XII's stamp collection, um, and I ultimately couldn't confirm or deny that it was his, so we, we didn't, uh, didn't offer it at auction. Um, but Michael shoots me a Facebook message, and again, we knew each other. Um, but he said, do you have time for a quick call? And I was stuck, in, stuck on the Long Island Expressway, so I said, yeah, I've got all the time in the world. And, um, <laughs> and he called me, and he pitched this idea of a podcast. Now, I do want to say that I really appreciate the philatelic hobby um, because it's maybe the only hobby where the idea of a podcast in the year 2020 makes us revolutionaries. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm partially guilty myself because Michael pitched this idea, and I said, yeah, that sounds great. And then I had to admit to myself that I'd never actually listened to a podcast before. So I agreed to this thing, and then I'd go home and i start Googling, you know, what is a podcast? If you look at my search history from that day, it's like, what is a podcast? How do you make a podcast? Because I just sort of blindly agreed, because the idea sounded like so much fun. Conversations, we hop on Zoom and, and talk to these people. And, uh, and I, I thought it was a really wonderful idea. 
Um, so it, it's, it's given me a chance to really think about, you know, as, as younger professionals in the hobby, a lot of people come to Michael and I, how can we incorporate technology? How can we bring the hobby forward? How can we get young people more engaged? And just sort of thinking about what is a podcast and how can we use this medium to promote the hobby, I think has been a good exercise for Michael and myself as well. To, to think about, you know, what do we want out of the future of philately? How can we use existing technology rather than, you know, rather than trying to reinvent the wheel? Um, you know, I joked that, that podcasts have been fairly ubiquitous for so long, but um, bringing that, uh, that format to philately has been, has been really exciting for us. So we very quickly cobbled together how to record a Zoom call, how to, you know, it, it was um, uh, early on. And I do want to give a shout out to Michael's sister, Claire, who's not here. Uh, who does all of the um, uh, all of the back end stuff and, and takes the interviews that we record and actually makes them listenable? Uh, and it's never our guests she has to edit. It's always uh, Michael and I. I feel who uh, who, who require the work. But um, yeah, again, you know that phone call was um, uh, you know it was the, the height of the pandemic. It was when things were really shut down. I was only going into the office very intermittently. And uh, at first, I just thought this is a great opportunity. At the very least, I'll get to talk to Michael and someone cool every week. Um, and I never expected that it would become such a huge part of our life. Now, the podcast and coming to shows, you know, Michael will mention as well, Gordon Eubanks, though, was, uh, was very generous letting us run around Westpex last week uh, recording stuff. And now we do these weekly live streams that I'll talk about a bit later. But it's really become a huge part of my week. Uh, it's something I really look forward to. Michael and I are always vying to find new guests, trying to think outside the box. Um, you know, obviously, collectors and dealers are the, the main focus of the show. But, you know, whenever Michael turns up somebody who wrote a book or a college professor or something like that, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, and, and again, this, this call, I think, was very fateful. I just sort of answered it not expecting much, and I agreed not expecting much either. And uh, ultimately, what this podcast has become for Michael and I is something that, uh, you know, uh, we, I hope that based on the YouTube comments and the emails we receive is something that really does try and bridge that gap. My, Michael and I are lucky that we had the YPLF to, you know, sort of break the ice and, and um, you know, involve us in the hobby seamlessly. And, and if we can provide even a little bit of that experience to somebody who can't attend a show or lives on the other side of the globe or, um, you know, started collecting during COVID and hasn't had a chance to attend a show. I think that is what makes what we do so worthwhile. So uh, I agree wholeheartedly that that's what we're trying to do with conversations with philatelists is just sort of be that bridge between the organized hobby and the armchair philatelist who has the passion, uh, but maybe not the connections or the knowledge or the, uh, you know, the, the real nuts and bolts of it. So that's, that's where we like to think we come in, I think. So since our first episode aired, July 27th, 2020, we've had the opportunity to speak so, to some of our favorite people in the hobby. Looking back in the past year, we'd like to take a moment to especially thank our first few guests who weren't entirely sure what was going on when we asked. And we weren't to either, to be completely fair. <laughs> we weren't sure what, what, we were, uh, what we were doing, but we wanted to just recognize um, Alex Simon. Gary Lowe, Editor-in-Chief of the American Philatelist, Wade Saudi yet again. Uh, Joe Mullen, Executive Director of the Cardinal Spellman Museum. And Dana Geyer, Executive Director of the American Stamp Dealers Association. These five people we called up before a single episode had aired, pitched them the idea, and they immediately wanted to give their support and agreed to come on the show. This kind of support that made such a monumental, monumental impact on me when I was experiencing my first introductions to philately when I was a kid and my dad would sit me down 
and show me the Scott catalog, and again with my first APS show with Alex and Wade encouraging the youth fellows to chase their philatelic passions and just build the community of inclusivity for us. Without the help of our first five guests, we wouldn't have been able to get anything off the ground. They took a risk and, their faith, and put their faith in us, and we wanted to express our sincerest gratitude for that. The support we've received over the past year from the entire philatelic community has been overwhelming, from the APS reaching out to us and offering to be promotional part for partners, giving us a platform here, literally at this podium, uh, to the AP, uh, ASDA dedicating a page on their website to us with different interviews from ASDA members, Stamp Collector Magazine running a monthly column on our interviews, and Eric Jackson even putting uh, our interview with him on his website and his homepage. Additionally, Gordon Eubanks giving us committee badges at Westpex to allow us to have access to anything on the, anywhere on the show and, and film anywhere to, uh, to broadcast it. Additionally, the APS and the Philatelic Trader Society for awarding us awards. <laughs> uh, to the show earlier in the year. The type of support was not something we'd expected when we first started down this journey and has certainly gone not gone unrecognized by the two of us. This is really what Charles and I wanted to do for the hobby, to extend an open hand to people and try to help build upon a sense of community, just like the support we've received. We've spoken to so many different kinds of philatelists along the way than we ever could have expected. People who have such different experiences and roles in the hobby, it has not only been an incredibly award, a rewarding experience, but also an amazing learning opportunity getting to talk to so many people with varying ex, uh, areas of expertise. As the show's progressed, we've had the opportunity to speak to, to speak with many of our friends, but also many people we've never spoken to before, who we now have strong friendships with. The ability to connect with people and have them share their stories has been a tremendous opportunity, but we've also seen a number of people who, through our episodes, discovered different dealers, auction houses, and discovered new collect collecting interests. Some of our favorite emails that we get or correspondence that we receive from people are simply just showing us items that they've purchased through different dealers or auctioneers such as Trish Kaufman and Eric Jackson after listening to episodes or, uh, or watching them. Seeing our efforts connect people and help them build their collections and increase hobby activity has been one of the most rewarding outcomes for us. But after all the connecting, supporting, and networking, the show has led to, when we drill down to the content of it, some of the best experiences we've had in the past year have been the conversations that we get to have with our guests. Whether it be about the past, the present, the future, the stories and ideas the guests always have brought to the show have been eye-opening and insightful. My personal favorite, which I now quote way too often from Dr. Cheryl Gans on the topic of bringing new people into the hobby at large, said, if we want to bring more, in more philatelists, we have to stop talking to only collectors. For me, this simple sentence, being so complex in its execution, became an obsession, an idea that Charles and I have not yet stopped thinking about. In the past year, we've tried our best to bring out the human element of philately, to show people that philately just isn't about stamps. It's about the people and the journeys that stamps take them on. So just to wrap up what Michael said, because Scott's giving me the two-minute warning back there. <laughs> Um, I, I, 
reflecting on these emails that we received from people, I got an email just the other day. A gentleman said, I listened to you talk about the Collectors Club. I want to join. Eric Jackson is uh, the uh, sponsor of my membership. Will you be my second? And a note like that, that somebody was joining the Collectors Club uh, you know, because of listening to us, it, it's very rewarding. It's not at all what we expected. And I think at this point, Michael and I are just trying to push ourselves to uh, deliver more to people. Um, because there are a lot of people who don't live near a stamp show or don't have the means to get to a show like this. And, and I, I really think that we, um, we sort of uh, owe it to, you know, again, we have so many people that we are thankful for, so many people that we owe so much to. Uh, I think we also owe it to the people who are on Twitter telling us, hey, can you do live streams from Westpex? Can you do live streams from the APS show? Because we can't go. And, and that's what I like so much about that. It's sort of the last thing I'll say is how we're looking forward. You know, we've been doing more in-person, uh, you know, uh, episodes. We got sort of into a routine during the pandemic where we'd log on to Zoom once a week. But now that Michael and I can see each other in person, I can drive up to New Hampshire and whatnot. It's been more fun. Things that are as mundane and uh, routine as breaking down a collection, you know, big collection of albums comes in the office. I just lot it because that's what I do day in and day out is just lots. But, but there's people who don't get to see that part of the process. They don't get to see how the sausage is made. And for Michael and I to do an episode like that, uh, we got great feedback to be able to go to, um, uh, to see the, the one cent magenta before it was sold, to get to hold that in our hands. Episodes like that are a lot of fun. But more recently, uh, you know, I, I think what's especially fun about YouTube and about being able to log on to Zoom from wherever we are in the world is that we can do live streams and bring news and sort of breaking events uh, to people without any sort of filter, no lag time either, uh, you know, versus in the past when you had to, you know, actually uh, run something in print. Now Michael and I can hop on a live stream. If Larry Haber has a breaking news story that we would like to uh, speak to him about, we can hop on Zoom the next day and bring that to people. So I think that is where we're trying to take conversations with philatelists as well. We'll be doing live streams uh, over the course of the weekend. If anybody sees us at our booth and wants to hop on with us for five minutes, we'd love to have you. Because, um, again, this technology allows for us to bring things to a, a large audience easier than ever before. And I think that's really where we're looking to take conversations with philatelists as well. We want to keep breaking down those boundaries, whether they be financial or geographical or, or whatnot. And um, it's been a lot of fun for us. Uh, I want to express gratitude to a lot of people in this room who have supported Michael and I on our journeys. Uh, I look around and I don't want to start naming names because I know I'll miss someone and uh, feel guilty about it afterwards. But uh, we're very fortunate to be able to do what we do. We owe it all. My, uh, you know, Scott says that the uh, YPLF didn't make us. They just discovered us. I can tell you that the hobby would have grown old very quickly had I not been able to fly to Hartford and Grand Rapids. So uh, I don't think I would, I, I know that I wouldn't be here without the YPLF. I'm sure Michael feels the same. So I just want to extend gratitude to the APS, everybody in this room, and especially for taking the time to listen to us speak tonight. So uh, we'll be around at our respective booths the rest of the weekend. Please come by, say hi. Again, hop on a live stream with us for five minutes, and we'd love to talk to you. Scott, thank you. Thank you.